Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. What's up, Travis? Hi, nice to see you both. It's so good to see you, Travis. It's been a while. It has been a while. I'm eating a little bit of a poke bowl. You made it yourself? No, I didn't make it myself. I just got back from uh, a little bit of a nature explosion. I went to Banff and not shop since I've been home. So I post-made it a couple meals last night so that they'd last for today. What were you doing in Banff? Enjoying the most beautiful nature I've ever seen in my life. Wow. So you would hike every day or? I'd go, I'd go on a hike. I would, uh, there was hot springs. I jumped in Lake Louise. Uh, Lake Louise is so stunning and every, it was 28 degrees. Oh, wow. And I decided I wanted to jump in the water. And people were looking at me like I was crazy. They're like, well, you're getting in the, you're getting in the water now? took out my towels. I just plunged into this most beautiful, pure water. And it was, I mean, it was really cold. This rush of joy just exploded out of me. And everyone that was also around and a part of it, you could see them smiling and laughing and giving high five. <laughs> it, it was so much fun. It was a fun moment. So Banff was filled with a lot of, just a lot of nature and all the good things that make my heart feel good. It's very Wim Hof of you. Sure is. Have you done any Wim Hof breathing techniques? No, I almost did. I, I watched something about him and it was so inspiring that I was like, I, I may try this, but I haven't actually been able to bring it to execution <laughs> yet. There's something really incredible about it. I, I've, I did it for, for a good year off and on. I was really into the breathwork practice. And what it does is you just oxygenate your cells so much that your body doesn't crave oxygen. And so I found myself being able to build my oxygen up so much in my body that I didn't have to breathe for two and a half, three minutes. What? You do 30 breaths. And then when you get done with your 30th breath, you let it out. And he he asks you, just sit in all that oxygen that you just built up in your system. You have the like the survival instincts that come up that that like, no, breathe, what are you doing? But you you just go, okay, I'm fine. And your body just actually rests in this pocket, however long you want to hold your breath. And then as soon as you can't hold it anymore, you let it out. And then he has you take one big breath and you hold it for 15 more seconds. And then you release that. And there is a euphoria that overtakes your body. You recenter. And then he takes you on another vert. You go basically through three rounds, four rounds of that. And through the process, you can hold your breath longer and longer and longer. And it's very meditative. Yeah, it really puts you, it puts you into a state, like a really grounded state. And I actually do that before I work a lot, just to keep myself centered and feeling like I'm in my body. Yeah, breath work, it's so interesting to me how so many people are finally discovering the significance of breath and how it resets your body and it resets your brain and resets your hormones and your reaction time. And I I, I love all these beautiful kind of breathing modalities and practices. But with Wim Hof, do you get into the ice aspect of it? Yeah, I I find that it's really fun to get into freezing water. And six minutes is the limit that I like to go to. It's such a mental 
challenge because you see all your different thoughts come up that want you to get out, that think this is bad for you, that are trying to convince you to, you know, retreat. I think it's such a mental workout to see those thoughts come up and then to be able to like not push them away, but just to go, okay, I see you, but I'm choosing to do this. And there's something where you're, once you accept that that's what you're doing, it becomes really easy and peaceful. And there's, there's something empowering about it. So yeah, I've definitely done some of the ice baths and it definitely takes some mental preparation, but it always feels beneficial in more ways than one. That's so cool. And Travis, you know, that is such a perfect lead in to this thing I've been thinking about when Mel and I were thinking about asking you to join us in a conversation. One of the things that I was thinking about is about how from the moment I met you, like no matter what stage you are going through in your life, and you've gone through so many interesting passages. That's working a lot of life and death. Yeah, you've <laughs> lived a lot. I would say like more chapters than most people ever would be able to report. I was always so impressed with how much you know yourself, even though you are changing. And that has always impacted me. I've got such awe and respect for you. You know how a lot of people, you guys, they will try something on for size. You know, everybody's into it, talking about like Wim Hof or whatever, and they're just like, I'll do that. But they don't really check in and go, well, wait, is this something I need to do? Is this actually relevant to me? And Travis, you don't do that. You do things because you're exploring like your reality always. You check in with yourself and you're like, I need to do that. I think I need that tool or I think I need to figure this thing out. Is is that true? Yeah, your your reflections are beautiful. I and, and that's why I think we've been friends for so long is cuz you you reflect this truth back to me that is always a revelation in some way. Yeah, I think there's so a couple of things came to mind when you're saying that. There's a Hindu philosophy and you embrace this idea of there's there's different cycles in life. You know, you have Creation, maintenance, destruction, repeat. We're drawn to the things that make sense to us, however we're calibrated. For whatever reason, that mentality, that philosophy has always been something that's stuck with me. Humans, we're all always in some version of that, some stage. And then being a Scorpio, I feel like I've had a more intensified version of this particular <laughs> experience. And so that's why that's so, I've always related to it. The second thing that came to my mind is I've always been a seeker. I've always been curious and wanting to learn and to grow and to know myself and to know others and to just be the best human that I can be. I'm always very interested to see what is calling me forward at this particular time because it always changes, but I honor it. If I'm being called to go on a road trip across the country, I'm going. I don't know why I need to go to Banff. And then I go and there's so much healing and exploration and joy and purpose in it. And so I think there's something, and maybe it's also being an actor that where you train yourself to be in touch with those impulses, those, those callings that you have inside, you train yourself to tune into that. So maybe, maybe it's all, it's all connected in that way, but I think that's a beautiful reflection and I appreciate it. Well, were you always that way? Like when you were a kid, did you know you were unique and, as you refer to yourself as seeker, I mean, 
Melody and I have talked a lot about our uh, upbringings and we noticed like differences at a certain point, like, wait a minute, how come the other kids aren't interested in this? Or how come I'm the only one who reflects about how people might be feeling about this? What about you? Like, how did you become from a family culture and the culture you grew up in into going, wait, you know what? I can't do that. I'm not going to just do what everyone's doing. You know, I, I remember always being really soft-hearted as a kid. I remember always being really aware of the emotions other people were trying to suppress or feeling. I don't know why I felt in tune with that, but I also also felt really like like it was part of my job to care and to to make sure other people felt good. And the times that, that that I didn't achieve that, I felt awful. And little moments, like I, I just had a moment. I remember I was at a, I must have been 10. I don't remember, but I was young. And we were laughing in the car and the windows were down. And we pulled up to a stoplight and there was a woman that was very overweight. And we were all like laughing and not at her, not at, but in this conversation. And I remember I looked over and she saw us all laughing. And I immediately go, oh, she's hurt because she thinks that we're laughing at her. And my heart broke. And then, you know, the light turned green and we went on. And I, th I thought about that moment for so long. Like, I hope she didn't think that we were making fun of her. I hope that our experience didn't hurt her. I, I, I hope that she understands that, that she is loved and all these things as, as a youngster. That was just like one little moment that happened that I held on to. And I think there are many moments like that throughout being a youngster that, that are, I, I feel like I've always just been really concerned with how others are experiencing the moment. So do you always make peace with that part of you, like the soft hearted, but also I would say you have a depth. I think that's what makes you so accessible, you know, in a number of friendships, capacities, roles, relationships. You have a depth, you know. What's funny is that when I started this business, I was told the opposite. Hmm. When I started being an actor, I was told that I had zero depth behind my eyes. I was told that that was vacant. And that really hurt me because I thought maybe there's a truth to that. And a lot of the work that I've done, and you know, it's all about accessing the depth. And so I think there's been a superficiality that I have been accustomed to living my life, especially even though all these things were happening inside that's not how I would always live my life. You know, I'm this guy that wants to be popular in high school or that, that has this big personality that's being put in a closet by his teacher because he's the class clown or whatever the exterior was. It was guarding that scent, that gentleness in me. And so I think I became accustomed to living much more in the superficial lane, even though I had these deep yearnings inside of me. And it just became my safe suit. As I joined, I got into this acting business, I would wear that. And I think people could see through that. And I've had many mentors and teachers call out the deeper part of me that was underneath that facade. And that's been part of my journey is learning to trust and access and want to inquire and get to know and to wear that because that's who I am. When I was given that feedback, it hurt because there was truth to it. And also, don't you guys find this? I mean, it's interesting, but I'm always fascinated by the things we share in common. And I know the three of us have experienced this 
what you call soft-hearted, I would say, Smushi, you have your equivalent, like a sensitivity about others and the world and just sensitive in general. And of course, I feel the same way myself, but we've experienced projections of others in multiples because of our various ways we intersect with the generality of humanity. And along with that comes projections at times when people haven't yet discovered what they are and they don't live by what they are. So, you know, the fastest way for a person to elevate themselves is to push others down or project, you know, negativity or accuse them of a lack. I think that's the greatest challenge because you have to search yourself. I love how you did that, Travis, but you have to go so deep inside to go, is there truth to this? Is this time to do deeper inventory? Or like, what about this is actually my freedom? The minute somebody accuses you, where do you go? We all have filters that we see our life through based upon our past circumstances, based upon our familial dynamics, based upon just how we experience the world, how we protected ourselves. And so I think for me, there's always been a desire to understand what that filter is so that I don't project onto people falsely. Just to go back to your question earlier about this, there, there is this like ever-changing aspect of me that's always wanting to learn and to grow and to know myself because I want to make sure that filter is purified as much as possible um, so that I can actually experience the other person as who they are as opposed to my projection of them. And that's been a journey that I'm still working on every day. I don't think it ever ends. <laughs> yeah, it will never end. And that's, that's part of, I guess that's part of being human. And I think as, as a kid, you don't know what your parents mean when they say life is, you know, life can be hard or being an adult isn't easy. Mm. But as you get a little bit older and you start to become an adult, you know, I think a lot of being an adult is really unwinding all the stuff that you learn that isn't true. Yeah. unlearning it all. Yeah. And it's such a process and it can get in the way. And sometimes things are cloudy and you hurt people and you don't want to hurt people. You hurt yourself and you don't listen to yourself. And there's this, just this process of being an adult that can sometimes be really tricky. But what was your question about freedom? I want to go back and, and answer that. I'm fascinated mostly because you seem to always go back to the core and integrity of what you are rather than roles that you're exploring and I wonder how you do that because I've, you know, had the privilege of hearing you share, oh, what you're into now and, and what you're exploring and what you've, you know, what tools you've picked up along the way. And I go, wait, how does he stay himself through all I have shared a lot with you. Too. <laughs> <laughs> you have as well. You and I love seen, it. You, I've peeled back literally <laughs> all of the protective layers I have, and you have seen like literally the center of my soul. <laughs> what a privilege. You know, it's 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 an honor to be able to actually have that freedom with somebody because there is a there is a safety and a trust to be able to show that and to go on that journey together. It's a, it's a mutuality of respect that I think yes. is really important uh, in, in, those, in, those, in these journeys. And so I appreciate that. I've always just been drawn to like the, the, the sociology of things, how things became, how did humans become humans? How did we evolve over all these years to be the way that we are right now? And if we flash back 300 years, 
5,000 years, 12,000 years, you know, 12,000 years, we have the agricultural revolution. Life begins to change for humans. We're starting to form the first big societies. You go back even further, you know, you don't live in groups bigger than 150 people. I'm just so fascinated always about going back to where we started. And that's something that I've always been drawn to. And I can get in those moments. Some people have it where they look at the stars and they look at the cosmos and they think like the vastness of it all. And they can have this moment of rapture where they're completely just awestruck. I have that in those same, in that category, but also when it comes to just thinking about how humans evolved, there's this awe that happens and wanting to go back to the source and to understand it. And I think that's reflective of the journey that I live inside of myself. I think for me, there's freedom in knowing yourself. There's freedom in understanding who you are. There's freedom in, in knowing what your patterns are and, and that being the key to unlocking some of these patterns that might be destructive. So I think that there, there's always been this just strong desire to, to, to check in with myself because my biggest mission, I think, is to live within the, the greatest part of my potential. And I think getting to that has been, it's, it's sometimes a journey to un- unlocking that and to like living in it. But that's where freedom is. So you're saying freedom is honoring those callings inside of you and exploring them more to understand why they're callings for you. That leads you to freedom, like more freedom to be you. Yeah, I think the freedom that I'm interested in that I think I relate to is the more I get to know myself, I'm drawn, I'm drawn inward to know myself and to know what's in the way of like, what's the facade that I carry? What are the filters? How am I really underneath all the noise and all the social, you know, pleasings and all, all, all the etiquette who's really underneath. And the more that I can unpack that, the more that I can understand my patterns, because we're, we're just pattern creatures. If you look up through history, we're just repeating the same cycles over and over again, just in a new way. So for me, the more that I study the past, the more that I study myself and my past, the more I feel like there's access to a freedom and to my potential. I love that. I really love that. Does it change for either of you when you are um, in your authenticity, walking that, just what you're describing, Travis? Do you find yourself influenced by people that you encounter and that it alters that, you know, like a reverberation? You're now intersecting with a new energy and uh, new ideologies and new patterns, or do you find yourself more affecting others by being authentic? It's probably two-part, but I think you guys, both of you, which I've always connected to you all, is is I think it's the, it's the first one that you mentioned that I feel like I can be a sponge to my environment. If I'm at one of your talks and we're all sitting in a room of like-minded people, maybe not all like-minded people, but we're all having this conversation. I, I can get inspired and it awakens things inside of me that maybe were dormant. And I then begin to emulate the things that I'm around. And I can be very influenced by my surroundings and by the people in my surroundings. And sometimes that's a blessing, sometimes that's a curse. But I feel like the environments and the people that I place myself around have a big impact on my inner world and maybe the, the maturity is not necessarily being so influenceable 
and learning that that's your center and your core and you don't necessarily have to blend in with every place or person that you encounter. I don't know, maybe that's some of my learning as an adult is to really like stand more in who I am. Yes, regardless of whose presence you're in. I find that is like a continual practice. I wouldn't say it's the kind of thing, I mean, the illusion is when you're a kid, you're like, well, when I'm an adult, I'll have figured that out and I'll always feel free and I'll always be myself and I'll always bring the best out in whatever group and it's not possible. I've shared this with Mal so many times, but I really think my um, dear friend and mentor used to always say that the ultimate state, the ultimate place is when you can be alone in a crowd. Say more. I know. I mean, (laughs) it's really where I polish up every day so that no matter what happens, I'm just like, well, wait a minute. Did it matter if, if this person or those people were either responsive or not responsive, if they got what I was sharing or they didn't get what I was sharing. Does it really change anything? Am I not just authentically free to put out the expression, my truest expression today? This is what love looks like today. And I don't know what it will look like in the next series of situations and people. Because that's why you love being with people who are both like-minded and have some kind of higher-mindedness about them. You know, they're not entirely self-focused. Sometimes I just want to take you and place your thoughts in your mind in me because I just, I, I always just love your perspective on, on life and, and how, how you navigate it. It's always so articulate and beautiful. Thanks, Travis. Meanwhile, I'm thinking about it in terms of fashion, my small-minded, because I go back to when I was a kid and I'd have to go to all these things with my mom and I'd have to wear these outfits that I hated and I just never hated it. And then I remember carrying that over as I got older and it's like, oh, I'm going to this kind of event. I should wear this kind of thing. And I wouldn't be comfortable in it, but I felt like I had to wear it to like blend in or to be... You know, and now I'm at the stage where I can go to like a gala and wear a sweatsuit. And I'm like, yes, I finally feel like me. (laughs) But it's like the most superficial way of what you guys are talking about. No. You can see it on you, though, Melody. You can. To me, like you can always tell when someone's being themselves and really in their own honor and there's just a different light and a different glow. And that is absolutely something that you embody. And so I, I love seeing that. You, you, you wear those sweats because it inspires me to want to wear mine. <laughs> yes. And the point is, is the practice is so deep and so powerful and so huge. It's not superficial at all. It's just you finally figured out how to live it. That's the embodiment of it. Uh, You know, I could be like doing all kinds of yoga practices in my head, but you know, you're just trying to actually get in the pose. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's like chicken or egg, right? You know, sometimes you start with it in practice, even though it hasn't quite resonated 
deep inside. Like maybe you're still a little shaky in your core about who you are, but you follow this voice that leads you like, but this is where I feel most comfortable and you honor that. You know, earlier when you were talking, Travis, about just honoring these sort of these hits you get internally of like, I'm just going to go and do that. It reminds me of Julie talking about how you have to trust what you love. And I love that so much because I've been trying to do that more so because I actually realized that because I've been hurt by love or because um, sometimes I've like wanted it so bad and it hasn't you know, there's been distortion or other things have gotten in the way. Sometimes I don't really trust what I love because I'm like, oh, this might be too good to be true. Like if I go here, what if this happens or that happens? You know, it's like I get into my head about it. Whereas when you freely like and completely just really trust the things that you love to do, regardless of how big or small they are, I feel like they always lead you to where you need to be and more awareness of yourself and more information. And when you were talking, it feels like that's sort of your compass. Like somehow you really do trust what you love. Do you think that's true or? You know, I think there are many different aspects of life that I think that that's very true in. And I think that there are still parts of my life where I have these strong understandings of what's true, and yet I don't act on it. And then that creates a source of disalignment or confusion inside of my own self. And that that's me probably having a wound, not trusting the outcome or not believing in myself. Or the way that I like to look at it is, is how, much, how much do I honor myself and how much do I betray myself? And are there areas where I still betray myself? What are those? And why am I continuing to do that if I know that I'm doing that? I think for me, a thing that I think about often is... What are the areas in my life that I know I want to change, yet the brakes the breaks are on? I go to take that step and I don't do it. Mm. I'm being called this way, but I'm, you know, I'm just going to say that is the kind of thing that there must be a trust. There, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, the, the trust frequency is like a little bit the connection is a little bit lost there. I'm like having to adjust the wires. I, I relate to a lot of, of, of what you said. And I think in a lot of my areas, a lot of areas in my life, that yes is so there and I love it and I follow it right away and I have no issue about it. It's just, it is what it is. And I've learned to trust that. I guess part of the journey is, is learning to trust all, all of those avenues when they come up. I, I so relate to what you're reflecting back, even in terms of, honoring yourself versus betraying yourself. And Jewel and I were actually talking a few episodes back about evolving versus devolving. And I had never heard it that way, where when you do betray yourself, that's when you devolve. So we can't be still, right? Doesn't it? That's why I wanted to, I just wanted to hit you with it because I was hit so hard with it. Where I was like, oh, now that you say it that way. Well, we're justifying creatures. We justify stuff because we go, whoa, the process of growth is two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. You just you can justify where that's okay. Yep. You put the Aaliyah song on and you just jam onto it. Like <laughs> I just got to know you a little bit more because that's what you do. I love it. Why do you feel like a, like a voice to men song I put on? Like, that's a good 
Well, and then also uh, part of that uh, evolving versus devolving is that I think we always have this trust like, oh, yeah, this is my thing. So I'm going to walk this way. But sometimes you have to advocate for yourself. Like you have to hold hold space for yourself. If no one else is there witnessing you, saying, go on, go on, keep going, then, then what do you do? I think a lot of times we make that turn, you know, you're going a little squiff and, because you, you sort of want to move in that direction, but there's no yet uh, reflection back to you. And I think it's very difficult to self-advocate when it hasn't been done before. You know, like it's different if you've done it 10 times before, then you're like, no, I know the rhythm of this. I just got to wait this out. I'm going to do some deep breathing. I'm going to, you know, whatever, put on my jam. It's going to come through for me. But what happens if nothing happens? Do you have to ever self-advocate for yourself? I think that's part of the design of being human. I think we all have to. I grew up as an athlete. So as an athlete, you have to show up for yourself. You're injured. You got to push through. You don't want to go to practice. You need to go to practice. It's all the hours that you put in when no one else is around, when you're, you're working on your sprints or your technique or you're in the gym. It's the moments that people don't see that are actually informing what they do see when you're on the field. I've always had to be self-motivated in that way where I feel like I built, I built that muscle through my adventures in sports. I remember a teacher told me, one of my acting teachers, she goes, oh, you were an athlete? Oh, you'll be fine in this business. And she said that in 2004, and that always stuck with me. I'm like, why? Did you, why? Why? Why does, why does that apply? In order to have a work ethic that I'm sure both of you are well aware of, you need, you have to self-advocate for yourself. Even when people aren't saying yes, that doesn't stop your momentum. And it can, but even in this business, I've, had, I've, had, I've been told well, well more times no than I have yes. And that hasn't slowed me down. And I think in those quiet moments, sometimes it has. And sometimes it's made me want to quit. Sometimes it's made me want to back away. Sometimes it's made me question everything. But it's those moments that then burst that, it's a, it's a birth of that ter- determination again, that belief in yourself again, that no, this is what I want to do. This is what I meant to do. I'm going to, I'm going to self-advocate for myself. And I'm going to, I'm going to say yes, even if everyone else is saying no, because eventually they go and say yes. Wow. That's a really strong sense of self. I think sometimes for myself, what I do is I go, well, I put it out there and I know that was my truest path, but if nothing's coming back to me, I'm just going to walk, but I'll walk in a different direction. And sometimes it leads me back to that same place, but through a different door. And sometimes it doesn't. You know, sometimes I have to let it go and just trust that, yes, it could have been, but it's not going to be. Being in the profession that I've chosen, that's a lot of the game. You ha- you, you're so drawn to want some job or some moment to happen, and then it doesn't go your way. And I find myself, even though the ship has gone that way, I'm still holding on to it. But the job's not mine. I was told no, yet I am still very much in the space of like, I wanted that, that I saw my life in that, that direction. And it takes some time to like unwind yourself, unwind myself from that, to recenter, to choose, to, to, to be able to, to start walking again from a centered 
place. So that's, that's a very real, it's a, it's a, it's a process a process of letting go of certain expectations or certain desires or certain dreams. It's literally the process of letting go is I think one of the biggest processes of being an adult is learning how to let go of some idea of what you want that didn't go your way. How do you let go and move on? Yeah. Smishy, you said one thing one time of getting stuck in disbelief and that really resonated with me. It's like, that's one of the things that really keeps us stuck in a place like I can't believe I didn't get that or I can't believe this person would do that. Like, it's just like you're just stuck in disbelief. It takes so long for us to get over something, especially if you see it so clearly, you feel it, you have a knowing about it, and it's just... What about you? I'm so curious. Your journey through fashion and through all of your incredible different lines that you've had that have done so well, it didn't start out that way. And I'm sure even now, I think any door will open for you. You have an idea and people are like, I trust that. So let's go. But I'm sure that, and and I'm, I'm of course, generalizing. I'm sure you still get told no. But the process when you first began, like when your, your journey to really begin trusting your style, when, when did that click in? Because it, or, or was it always clicked in? I was kind of lucky in the sense that my first experiences as a designer were pretty, like I got a lot of really big confirmations that kind of sustained me for a long time. But then I think throughout that, there's been stages. Like I remember when I was just making stuff and I was selling it online, it became about growth. Like this idea of growth was presented to me. And then uh, there was a process involved with growth. You know, it was no longer just me se- selling through a website. It was like, wait, I, you need to have a showroom and um, a showroom where somebody will sell your stuff to stores. And that way you'll get more, you know, you'll be able to make more things and put more things out there. And so I got caught up in this system. And when I got caught up in the system of it, that's when I feel like I took a few steps back because I, I was like, wait, I don't know if if the masses are going to want this stuff. So I have to adjust myself for the masses. And those were like those times where I felt like I had to adjust myself were probably my biggest mistakes. Were the times where I never sold whatever the thing was, nobody wanted it. <laughs> and I would just go back to the drawing board and be like, "Ugh, why did I do that? Like I shouldn't have, but you know, as you're on your journey, I think the more you grow, so to speak, where volume goes up or money goes up or anything gets bigger, then you enter more sort of like existing systems or constructs that aren't necessarily designed that well for the people that they are supposed to serve. So I I think that's a hard job for us because we constantly have to go up against those systems or review them or rechange them or, you know, I think it's especially with artists and creatives. Yeah, you're constantly having to be disruptive in some way in order to achieve the vision that you have. You have to be. And you're constantly being compared to the product world. So everything is product-oriented. So you can be a creative and altruistic in it and coming from your truth. 
And still, the outer world will say, well, what are you going to do with that now? Now that people have embraced or accepted you in this way or this way, like what you're sharing, Smushi, um, isn't it amazing how it's just never, <laughs> it's never enough for other people, but you weren't even involved in that. You're not, you know, trying to self-promote. You're just trying to exist and be productive as yourself and bring the most. Also, I feel like industry standards like always want such a sure thing, you know, so they're like you said, comparing it's like, oh, well, this is the new Alicia Keys, you know, or and it's like, no, it's not. It's a whole other person. Like, how can you even say that this is the new whatever or they're they take somebody that is an example who probably jumped through a million hoops and was able to create whatever that they were able to create. And then they try to replicate that over and over again. Or, And I understand that's so easy and lazy, but each person has their own version of that. Plus, don't you feel you guys were the object is to be as effective by being what you are and bringing what you are? to the world. Like, Travis, you've been, uh, how many schools have you built so far? Seven, and I'll be building my eighth in uh, 2022. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. It's such a wonderful gift you bear. But how do you go from, you know, to me, you're using everything you've become in that way we're talking about to engage people in the consciousness of what you're really about. How do you flow into that movement? I think for me, I've always been drawn to want to give back in ways that, that I didn't take advantage of in my life. I didn't take advantage of my education. I was gifted this experience to have an education. You just go to school. That's just what you do in America and other developed countries. It's just your birthright. When I went when I went through school, I didn't I didn't go all in. I didn't always find myself interested. I was always kind of like on the outside of it. I never fully submitted myself. And I tell myself now, if I were to go back to university, I would love every second of it because I wanted to be there. But when I was in university, I was just like, oh, okay, well, I'm at school. Let me let me make it through. Let me endure this, as opposed to like let me really invest in this. Like this is a deposit uh, that's going to carry on and, 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 and pay dividends for the rest of my life. I didn't see it like that. So for me, I took advantage of school. And there are a lot of kids around the world that don't have access to school, that they just don't get the chance to go to school. And so I've always been drawn to somehow this uh, organization Build On presented itself to me. And I got asked to go on this trek to go build a school. And I had gotten really big into service in my life for about three years prior, I was doing clothing drives and I was really interested in giving back. And I just started studying and investigating the Baha'i faith and service was at the center of all of it. And I was so inspired by how the people around me and how they were living their lives. And I started to implement service as a main component of my life. And as that really became a natural lane, this opportunity to go build a school opened up. It's almost like I carved out that space and then the opportunity presented itself. And this opportunity was something everything aligned. I didn't know how strongly I wanted to go build schools and that I really knew I cared about bringing education to, to the redeveloping world. But as soon as that opportunity presented itself, it struck such a deep chord in me that it immediately became 
one of my greatest passions that I didn't know I needed or had. And from that moment, it's been something that has just sustained and been such a driving force in how I want to give back and how I want to show up in the world and how I genuinely hungry to serve in this, this area. And so it's been, it's been such a journey for me to discover this inside of myself. And then it's been an amazing, what I, what I really love about this particular organization. And I think anyone can relate to something that they're passionate about when there's something that you really care about, that you're passionate about, you want to share it. And it's so inspiring when you just share something that naturally means something so much to you and other people go, Oh, I've always wanted to do something like that. And then they go off and do it. Since I've been a part of build on, I've thrown multiple events and I've been so excited to share my journey and my mission with build on. I've been such an advocate for them. And I've seen, I don't know, I've maybe seen like 25 to 30 schools get built just from this ripple effect. And that is so exciting. It's not something that I set out to do. It's not something like I'm going to go, you know, inspire all these people to go build schools. Like, no, I love this. I think you'll love it too. Like, let me share it with you. And just the process of really being in touch with what means a lot to me and what makes sense to me and is authentic to me. It's been a beautiful experience to watch that moment happen in other people. Yeah, that's everything we're talking about. And then taking it from being true to yourself to being true to the expression of yourself in an outward focused way. I love, thank you so much for sharing that process. I think uh, so oftentimes it seems like a mystery. Like, how did, how did that happen? How did somebody get there? How did those other schools, you know, be built? I think that the more you share that process, the more people translate that into their equivalent, you know? I think sometimes we think service is something other rather than just a natural extension of what we love. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting reflection. Would you guys remember the moment when you had that desire to give back? Do you remember there, was there a moment when that started to like really become a center point of your life? I think for myself, I'm a backwards person entirely. So obviously from too early near-death experiences, too early for my brain to sort of figure it out and I hadn't developed yet. So I think I was born with a burning desire to be of use, to be helpful, but I hadn't a clue about how you do that. I think I spent an awful lot of my childhood striving and experimenting and failing. You know, like, oh, <laughs> I, mean, I can think of so many things that I did thinking like, this will help the world. No, <laughs> no, that did not. That did not. And, and where nobody got it, you know, they're just like, why don't you go home? In fact, I remember this one <laughs> situation, even on a small level, we moved up north from the city. We were at a new school. Everyone was cliquish. It was such a foreign kind of culture. I was in a very diverse world and now I wasn't. My very first week there, I noticed physically I'm the smallest person in my grade. 
And I'm just a bit of a microdot of a person. <laughs> and there's this boy who is so very, very heavy. And imagine if you're six and you're, he must have weighed as much as an adult. And I remember just feeling pain in my heart. Like it was labor for him to move. And it just killed me because the kids tortured him. And at recess, where I'm finally going to socialize with my new people, I see them torturing this boy and going after him with sticks. I'm like, oh, no, this is the moment. No. So I go and put myself between the boy and the sticks. And the kids are just like, get out of the way. Get out of the way. And they're yelling all these horrible things to him. And I can hear him behind me say, please leave me alone. Please don't do this. Like, please don't draw attention to me. Just leave it. And I'm, I'm just like, you will not hurt this boy, you know. And and I'm, not, I'm as big as his pinky, and it's like a most ridiculous scene. But I realized in that moment, a, I will never be popular in this school ever. Like, I just ruined my chances forever. <laughs> this boy is not going to be my only friend. He's going to be my, you know, please stay away from me person. But you know what I will say is after that incident, it did start to develop a sense of be aware of what people are asking for and what they're not. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important lesson in any path of quote-unquote service, whether it's generic and hands-on work or, uh, you know, person-to-person. -person. So, valuable lesson. Mm -hmm. Sushi, did you think of one? I love that you call it Sushi. <laughs> I can't think of it. I mean, I think it started pretty young for me, too, but... You're so outward focused always. I think I can't imagine you. You're so inclusive. Like if there's one person left out, you're aware of it. If there's like you're so you cannot help yourself. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, it, it's always been that way. I can't think about a, a single example or the first time. Or And I, I this is what I attach to that is I, I attach a story to that being that you grew up a Baha'i. You grew up in this language and in this environment and oxygen that's just so evolved. Yes and no. You know, and look, every every parent has their thing, but I'm saying in, in general, having the Baha'i faith as a youngster must have been so invaluable. And I find myself, you know, definitely to my journey, I've been a Baha'i for 10 years now. I find myself at times thinking kids that grew up in the faith they have uh, accessed their potential more because of the oxygen that they got to grow up in. And that could be just a story that I tell myself in this whole like comparison game that we all play. But that's the story I go, well, yeah, that's how you grew up because you, you were in a really beautiful situation as a child, just regards to the faith. I feel like any kid that receives some kind of spiritual education gets that. And then at some point you have to deal with, you know, the culture around it, whether it's true or not. And then of course there's like the culture of your parents. Like in my household, there was like my, our religious culture, but then there was also like our Persian culture, which sort of held precedence over everything. So it was like that was first and then everything else filtered through that. 
but yeah, I, I do feel like growing up and, and having some kind of spiritual education or community really changes your orientation towards things. Like just being in community or, especially how you were talking about fellowship, like that's something that really lacks today is just, just being able to be in fellowship with a community where you pray together or seek, you know, seek the truth and have freedom to seek it in bigger ways and is really special. And practice it. I think what's really missing today in society is a place to practice the art of being a human being. And when you're in community and that concept of fellowship blossoms, or like Travis, you were bringing to light, like in the oxygen of any universal teachings, what I love personally about the Baha'i teachings is not just the universality isn't a philosophy, it's the foundation. So anything that deviates from an understanding of how we're interconnected is problematic. So that's where our practice is. You know, we go back to, oh, how can we, how can more people benefit? How can we be less exclusive and more inclusive? But I think also an environment of service, you see a lot more mentors sprouting. So like Travis, all the roles you've played in life and in your career, isn't there like an, a commingling place where you have unpacked a part of yourself in one place and it gets to be applied somewhere else? Or you learned it on that other sphere and now you're, you know, taking it with you into the field of life. What I love about the profession that I chose or whatever it chose me or however that works is it's always such a human classroom that being an actor is. It, 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 it forces you to connect with so many aspects of yourself, whether it's lessons learned or lessons you're learning or lessons that you need to learn. The work somehow coincides and is synchronistic with some of the lessons that, that I've experienced or that I'm, I, I, I've been afraid to experience. So it, sometimes the, the work is always, I don't know how it does it, but there's always this synergy with the roles that I've gotten in my profession and how they've given me an opportunity to express aspects of myself that needed a runway to play. And it's always been such a healing modality for me, this work. And I think it's, you know, I, I, I've, I've been to a lot of classes, acting classes, but I don't think they're acting classes. They're, it's literally, it's human class. I think everyone would benefit from going to these classes. So for me, it was number one to keep continuing to grow my understanding and my craft and all that stuff. But it was also because it was so therapeutic for me to understand myself more and to express, you know, you show up to, let's say there's this cold reading class I would go to. You show up, they give you a scene when you get to class. You don't know what that scene is going to be. You have to take that scene. You have to read it. You have to basically implement it into yourself, understand it. And then you get to go up on stage and you get to express that. And so you're not, you're expressing someone else's words, but you're expressing a piece of yourself. You know, you're still the center of every character that you play. It's just a gym. It's a human gym for me. And I get, luckily I get paid to do it. That's amazing. <laughs> so Travis, we ask everybody this question before we end, which is what is something 
either personally or collectively that you thought would have happened by now that hasn't happened yet? I think that I would be a father by now. That was some, that's something for me that I had thought would, would happen at 39, but that hasn't happened in my life yet. As a young man, and even as a teenager, being a father was something that was always so exciting for me to become. Like that's been always something that's been on my radar. I even remember in some of my early acting classes, our teacher was, they would ask you like, what's your biggest fear? You need to ask these questions upon yourself just so you can understand your, your worldview and what affects you. And I remember my answer came very quickly. It was if I wouldn't be able to have my own children that brought tears to my eyes right away. Like I would say that that was one of my biggest fears, even as a you know 22 year old kid. Um, so that's the thing. I'm so, I thought that that would happen by now, but it will, and I'm excited for it. And you know, it's just all part of the process. Yeah, Smishy, how old did you say Picasso was when he had his kid, last kid? Like eighty something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got time, Trav. You got time. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. What a treat! Really nice to talk with you all, and I. I, uh, I always appreciate the depth and the thoughtfulness and and, and just you two as individuals are just amazing. So I, I really appreciate the time. We feel the same way about you, Travis. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find The Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. 